All right. Well, uh, today we're going to um, talk about hope. And uh, whenever I think about hope, I think about a guy named Jean Luc. Uh, John Luke is uh, one of the missionaries that we support at this church. He's a French guy who uh, speaks Spanish. He's living in Mexico, and he's married an African woman. And so he's this amazing guy. He's super smart. And I was thinking about him the other day because uh, last year, about this time, I went down to Mexico City uh, where he's doing ministry. He's working in the urban slums there, um, working with people that are just in, in dirt, uh, poverty, just suffering this horrible uh, life there in Mexico City, and he's trying to bring the gospel there. And John Luke, when we were down there, he gave a presentation. And after he had showed us all the, the slums and all the things that were going on there, he said, he showed us this presentation, and he says, I want to ask you a question. What do you think is the greatest need of these people living in poverty? What is their greatest need? He said, is it uh, clean water? They didn't have clean water. Uh, that was one of their needs. Is that their greatest need? He said, no. He said, is it uh, to get out of financial poverty? Do they just need money? Is that their greatest need? That's a need, but that's not their greatest need. He said, is it medical, uh, situ- a medical situation? Do they just need good hospitals, uh, free medic- uh, 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 medical care? Is that their greatest need? He says, no. He said, it's actually surprising. He says, their greatest need is hope. What these people need most of all, more than money, more than food, more than medical care, is hope. Uh, Viktor Frankl, who's a, he's a Jewish man, who's a therapist, who spent some time in the uh, concentration camps in Germany during the Nazi regime, he agrees with Jean-Luc. He said in the, in the concentration camp, he said, I noticed something. He said, in, the, in this, this horrible suffering, he said, sometimes uh, the prisoners wouldn't make it because of anger. They would just get so angry and violent. And he says, other times they wouldn't make it because, you know, they, were, they got sick and they died. But he says, what's interesting is he said, the ones who did make it, they all had one thing in common. He says, the ones who stayed alive were the ones who kept hope alive. There's a theologian, his name is Luce Meads, and he says that human beings are hope-based creatures. It's not just people in concentration camps or down in Mexico City. He says all human beings need hope to live. He says you keep hope alive and you stay alive. And this is what he goes on to say. Hope is bread in the bone. Our spirits were made for hope the way our hearts were made for love and our brains were made to think and our hands were made to make things. Keep hoping, you keep living. Stop hoping, and you die inside. And so your greatest need is hope. You need to see the light at the end of the tunnel if you're going to keep going in life. I think a lot of times we underestimate hope. We think, you know, I've got so many needs, and my greatest need is financial, or my greatest need is is relational, or my greatest need has to do with uh, career success or something else like that. But have you ever stopped to think that your greatest need is to see light at the end of the tunnel? You need hope to live. Now, maybe you say uh, Victor Frankl, Jean-Luc, Luce Meads. I don't know about them. Well, what about Mumford and Sons? Uh, They have a great song about hope, and they, they sing this. Give me hope in the darkness that I will see the light, because I've been through such a fright, and I will hold on as long as you like. 
but promise me I will be all right. There's, what, what is he singing about, James Mumford? He's singing about the light at the end of the tunnel, this primal, basic human need for hope. It's bread and the bone, Luce Mead says. Let me ask you a question. Are you hopeful today? Now, some of you are saying, Brent, it's at the end of 2020. Of course I'm not hopeful. This has been a hard year. I've, we've had disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. We've struggled. We've had letdown. We're, no, my, my, I'm not doing very well on the hope-a-meter, actually, you might say. Well, this morning, I want to I challenge us into hope. It is so primal, it is so basic, it is so urgent, it is so necessary. And so I want to end this year and begin 2020 by helping us understand how we can have hope. Do you guys want some of that today? Yes, okay. Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 5 is a little passage about hope. And uh, Romans is a, is a book about the gospel. And in Romans chapter 5, uh, what Paul is saying is that one of the uh, benefits, one of the things that, the, that God has on offer for us in the gospel is hope. It's one of the primary things that the gospel gives us. And today I want to look at the passage. I want to give us um, three things that the Bible tells us about hope. Three things today. Number one, we're going to see that hope is a promise in the gospel promise of future glory. Uh, Second of all, hope is a product. It's a product of suffering. Thirdly, we're going to see that hope is a practice, something that you do. Uh, Three things today. And so number one, we're going to see that hope is a promise. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you get to this passage, we're kind of stepping into the middle of a term paper. We don't know what's gone before, but Paul has been talking about this wonderful doctrine of justification by faith uh, through Christ. And what that means is that when you believe in Jesus Christ through his work on the cross, we are justified. And what that means is that we are acquitted in the court of appeals that matters most. Before God, we are made right. That means that we're not just forgiven of all of our sins, we are vindicated. We are beautified. When God looks upon us, he approves of us. We are justified before God, and we have peace with him now, it says. And then he goes on, and it says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And then he says, We hope in the glory of God. And so he says, uh, when you are justified, when you believe, uh, it's almost like you, the, the gospel is a gift. And within this gift, you have justification. You're made right with God. You have peace with God. The war between you and God is over. But there's another part of this gift. You also get hope. Every single Christian, no matter who you are as you sit in the seat this morning, you have a promise of hope. You have a hope. It's in the future, and it is promised to you by God the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. And it's the hope of heaven. It's the hope that Paul says of future glory. Now, when we think about heaven, a lot of us don't get all that excited about it. It's because when we think about heaven, we think about uh, floating off into the clouds. We think about harps. You know, you think about a white robe, a perfect hairdo, something like that. 
Um, I was watching a new uh, a movie on uh, Netflix last night called Soul, uh, which is a great uh, cartoon if you haven't seen it. It's really a neat, a neat movie. But uh, in the movie, there's a scene, and I won't spoil it for you, by the way. At least I'll try not to. There's a scene of people going off into uh, the great beyond, is what it said. They're on this escalator, and everybody's slowing up, going up, eyes glazed, going up into this light, into the great beyond. And the character in the movie doesn't want to go there. He starts running down the escalator. And a lot of us, if that's the way we think about heaven, we're thinking, well, I don't know if that excites me all that much. But you need to see that the picture that the Bible gives us of heaven is so much different. Paul calls it the hope of glory. What is this? Well, it's a a personal hope and it's a global hope. First of all, it's a personal hope. It's the hope that one day we all personally will be glorified. And what that means is that God will finally make us into the people that we always knew we were created to be. You know, as you live this life, you get frustrated with your failures and your flaws and your addictions and your stupidity and your, your unwisdom. All those things are so frustrating. But we as Christians have the promise that one day God is going to make us brilliant and beautiful. C.S. Lewis, in his essay called The Weight of Glory, says this, talking about our future glory. He says, one day he will make the feeblest and the filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. One day God is going to make you the person you've always been created to be. There's a story of a little boy in Sunday school who was misbehaving. And the teacher said, little boy, uh, it wasn't our Sunday school, by the way, but the teacher said, little boy, do you know who made you? And the little boy said, yeah, God did. And she said, well, he didn't do a very good job. And the little boy retorted, yeah, that's because he's not finished yet. And one day God will be finished with you. He who began a good work in you will one day complete that work. And as Lewis says, you will be a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such joy and energy that you cannot now imagine. Personal hope. It's also a global hope. It's the the hope that not only will you one day return to your original glory, but the entire world will return to its original glory. I think a lot of times we, as Christians, don't think enough about the second coming. But this is the idea that our ultimate hope is beyond the horizon of this world. It is yet future. And there is no political system. There is no presidential candidate. There is no medicine or technology or rise in standard of living that will make this world the way it should be. Only Jesus can do that. Paul the Apostle says that if we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. But we have a hope beyond the walls in the world that one day God will come back and he will make the world right. Martin Luther King had a vision of this, of this future glory when, when he looked out into the future and he drew on the prophetic literature of Isaiah and Jeremiah and he says, one day righteousness will roll down like a waterfall. 
And there will be no more tears and no more injustice and no more pain and no more poverty. The world will be glorified. And I also want you to see that this future promise is certain. Uh, When we say the word hope uh, in our English language, it it almost means uncertainty, doesn't it? Are you going to get a raise? I don't know, but I hope I do. Is the, you know, is the pandemic going to be over in 2020? I don't know, but I hope so. It almost means uncertainty. In the biblical language, hope is the exact opposite. It means certainty. It means, it means this day is coming and nothing is going to stop it. You will be glorified and the world will be glorified. And this is bedrock solid certainty. And so... Uh, Paul says the, the thing you get in the gospel, number one, and it's, it's, event. it's an event, it's out there, it's certain, it's a promise, and it is coming. But second of all, uh, hope is not only a promise, but Paul goes on and says hope is also a product. It's a product. Because let's go on and say, it says in verse um, three, and not only that, but we rejoice, not only in our hope of future glory, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, here's what Paul is saying, is that hope is not just an event. It is an event, but it's not just an event out there. He puts hope in the realm of a virtue that happens in here. Hope is not only something out there that's coming, hope is also something that is produced in a Christian's heart. It is something that you feel. It is an energy that propels you forward. It's something on the inside, something that is produced inside of you uh, by the gospel. Because all of us know that you can, you can have the hope of heaven, but you don't feel that hope. You know, you could know that it's out there, but you just don't feel it on the inside. When somebody says, I'm hopeless, when a Christian says they're hopeless, they're not saying that they don't believe in heaven anymore. They're saying, I just don't feel it. I just don't have, it's not propelling me anymore. I just don't, I don't see it anymore. And hope, Paul says, is not, it's something not only out there, but it's got to be produced in you. You've got to not only have a hope, you've got to be hopeful. But how, how does it, where does that, how does it come from? How do we get a hope? Well, Paul says here, he says, the way you get hope, the way it's produced in you is from an unlikely source. Hope is produced out of suffering. That's interesting. He says, we rejoice in suffering, uh, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So what he's saying here is that suffering, suffering inaugurates a chain of linked virtues. So it, you, it goes like this. You experience pain and suffering, disappointment. All of us experience that, right? Maybe you experienced it last week. Maybe you're right in the middle of it right now. And he says that pain and disappointment produces in people patience or endurance. And the Greek word is, it has to do with bearing up under a weight. So if you're a weightlifter, uh, you know about this. You, you bear up under weight and you get stronger. You can hold it longer. And you could uh, carry more uh, weight because you're, you're, the longer you hold up under it, the stronger you get. This is what Paul is saying. When a Christian experiences suffering, he kind of, he or she grows under that suffering. The longer you bear under it, the stronger you get. And the longer you can endure. 
And then he says, and then that endurance produces something called character. And character has to do with a tested metal. That's what the word originally related to. And it's this idea that when you are bearing up under suffering, it produces character in you. Character doesn't grow in a sermon. Virtue doesn't grow by reading a book only. You grow in character by experiencing the hardship of life. Someone once said that character is like film. It develops in the dark. And as you experience darkness, it leads to endurance, which then shapes your character. And finally, he says, all of this at the end of the day gives birth to hope. So suffering starts a chain of linked virtues that ends in hope. Suffering leads to hope. Now, how does suffering lead to hope? This is the way it works. All of us uh, hope in all kinds of things. You may say, I hope in heaven, or my ultimate hope is on my future glory. But what, what are you really hoping in? All of us hope in something. Maybe for you, it's, it's romantic love. That's the thing that's driving you. That's the thing that's keeping you going. Or maybe it's a, fi- a level of financial security. If I only got that, if I only could get there, that's what I'm shooting for. That's what keeps me going, and that's what you're hoping in. For some of us, we're hoping in a political candidate. If we could only get that person in office and only get those people in positions of power, then everything's going to be all right. Then the world would be made right. You may say you hope in heaven and future glory, but what are you really hoping in? You know what exposes what you really are hoping in? Suffering. When you lose that thing, when you're disappointed, when you lose that relationship or that political candidate doesn't win, or when you lose your health or your job, that's when you discover what you're really hoping in. And so suffering exposes your false hope and it helps you to recenter yourself on what you should be really hoping in. I saw a picture of this in my, my uncle. I was thinking about this this past week. My uncle is, um, right now he's on hospice. He, uh, he's really sick, and he's probably not going to last much longer. But um, he was, in his glory days, he was this big, strong man. He was, uh, I don't know how a Swanson got so tall, but he was related to me, and he was very tall. He was a tall man, and not only was he tall, he was big, and he was robust. And, and not only that, he had this drive. He was type A and driven, Um, He built a business and sold it when he was 40 and retired. And then became a missionary, and he was building uh, roofs and houses in Africa. And just, I always pictured my Uncle Jerry as this man just filled with energy and life. And then he got some disease, um, some sort of form of Parkinson's. And so his, his body began to waste away over the march of so many years. And this big man that I knew in my younger years kind of slowly... Uh, lost his energy and lost his drive and lost his ability to move. This eight years ago, I remember this moment. We had we had learned about my uncle Jerry, and, and so we, I was in Oregon and we were visiting him. And at that time, he was a shell of the man that he used to be. And he was still talking. Uh, he doesn't talk anymore, but he was still talking. But he was just a shell of that man. And I remember sitting behind him in church one Sunday, my parents' church. And they sang this song that they sang back eight years ago in 2012 called Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. 
And my, my Uncle Jerry was uh, sitting there in his wheelchair, and he was lifting his hands singing this song. And the, the course of the song, it says, he gives and takes away, he gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I remember look at my, looking at my Uncle Jerry and just thinking, man, so many of his hopes have died. But there he is, recentering his hope on something that won't disappoint him. His health is disappointing him. But in his suffering, he is reassigning and realigning and recentering his hope on his future glory. And suffering helps you do that. Sometimes suffering comes not just because you, you're, you lose the thing that you're most hoping for. Sometimes it comes when you get the thing you're most hoping for. You know what I'm talking about? You spend your whole life thinking, if I could only get that job, if I could only get there, then everything will be worth it. Then life will be worth it. And then you get the job. And you realize, you know, I feel kind of the same way I did before I had the job. And there's that letdown. Hey, that's an opportunity to reassign your hope. It wasn't the job. That's not what my hope long for, long, is, is ultimately longing for. C.S. Lewis says, if we would just listen to our longings long enough, we would discover that what we most want is that which cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things that offer to give it to you, that promise it to you, but they never keep their promise. Whether it's a job or a marriage or a financial package, only Jesus Christ and your future glory will not disappoint you. So Paul says, hope, number one, it's, it's a promise. It's yours immediately when you believe. But it's also a product. It increases. And it's something that kind of is birthed in you, and it happens through the process of pain and suffering as hopes are realigned and reassigned and recentered. There's a hidden gift in disappointment. But it, because it helps you to hope in the right things. Okay, so finally, hope is, is also, number three, a practice. It's a promise, it's a product of pain and suffering, but also it's a practice. He says, an endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not dis- put us to shame because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. Now, Hope is a practice, and what I mean by that is hope is, is also something that you do. It's something that you need to work for, and it's kind of implied in this passage. It's not necessarily in here, but it's implied in here because it says suffering produces hope, but suffering doesn't produce hope automatically. Just as often, suffering produces despair and cynicism and anger. What is it that changes suffering into hope? Well, it's something that we do. It's something that we practice. There are things that you need to do if your disappointment is going to turn into hope. Let me give you some things to do. It's a practice, hope is a practice that, that we must do uh, as disciples of Jesus Christ. Three things that I want to uh, kind of help you to do at the end of the sermon here. Uh, if you want to grow in hope, Let me encourage you, number one, it's going to come up on the screen, is meditate on your future glory. 
so many of us spend our lives thinking about this life. You know, we think so often about getting that raise or how do I feel today? Am I going to get this? this, and Where am I going to live? And can I get into that house? How often do you think about your future glory? One theologian, I forget who it was, but he, he, he prayed this prayer, God, burn heaven into my eyeballs. One of the ways you can do that is simply read your Bible. The second coming, the future glory, is on almost every page of the New Testament. You cannot read your Bible without reading about your future. Read the book of Revelation. Somebody this last week was asking me to do a series on the book of Revelation. And uh, there's no way I'm doing that because that's a crazy book. But uh, one of the things that the book of Revelation will help you do is it will help you get your future glory into your mind and imagination. It's just filled with metaphor and, and imagery about our ultimate future. Uh, my grandmother, uh, she was also uh, very, very sick at the end of her life, but what I noticed about her was that she was always talking about heaven. She was always talking about the future. And so many of us, we're just so comfortable right now that we don't think about our future very often. The early American slaves, for example, uh, they, they would write hymns called Negro Spirituals. And almost every single one of them was about their future glory. It's because life in the present was so hard, it was so unbearable that they just clung to their future. How often do you think about and meditate on your future glory? Get yourself a, re- a Bible reading plan in 2020. It'll help you do that. Secondly, I want to encourage you to uh, realign your hope. Uh, In order to do that, you've got to first examine your hope. Do an inventory of your hopes. Ask yourself the question, what am I hoping in really? What am I hoping in really? What is really driving me? What am I really living for? What vision is really in my mind? that is propelling me forward. If you're honest with yourself, maybe you'll discover that what I really am hoping in is a job or a romantic relationship or a financial package or something like that. And you've got to be introspective enough to just examine your hopes, take inventory. I'm not saying it's wrong to hope in stuff. You know, but there, you've got to make sure that you're not putting your ultimate hope on that which cannot bear the weight of it. Examine your hope and then reassign and realign and recenter it. Disappointment is a great opportunity to do that. Some of you uh, in, in November really, really wanted a particular candidate to win, and he didn't. And it's a disappointment. But what a wonderful opportunity to realign and reassign and recenter your hope. The Bible says the government will be upon his shoulders. That's Jesus, not anybody else. He is our hope. And so a lot of times disappointment and frustration and transition and upheaval can actually help you to reassign your hopes on that which will not disappoint, that which is bedrock solid that will not go away. Thirdly, I want to encourage you. It's going to come up here. 
to practice God's presence. Now, I didn't read this part of the passage, but it's, an, it's a really, or I did read it, but I didn't talk about it. This is uh, verse five. It's a wonderful vo- verse. He says, this hope that's produced by suffering, he says, this hope does not put us to shame or does not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is a wonderful little verse because what it tells us is that ultimately our hope, it's not just a a, a promise or a product. It is ultimately a person and a presence. Your hope is Jesus and his love for you. This hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he has given us. So what he's saying here is that if you're a Christian, uh, the love of God has permeated your being, body, soul, and spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Like a sponge and water, God's love has permeated your entire being. He's given you his Holy Spirit. And this means that his love is closer to you than your skin. And one of the most hopeful things you can do is just spend time soaking in that love. There's a poem by Emily Dickinson called uh, Hope is the Thing with Feathers. Hope is the Thing with Feathers. And here's what what the poem says. It says, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. And sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And I love that because it's saying that hope is inside of you because God is inside of you. God lives in your soul. He is closer to you than your very skin. And he sings to you his love. And what I'm asking you to do is spend time listening to that voice. Because you're hearing so many other voices, voices that come from the world that say, you are what you make of yourself in the real world. You are your income or you are, you know, your achievements. The Bible says that you are who God says you are. And if you're a Christian, you've been justified by faith. And what that means is that God looks at you and he says, you are my son, my daughter. I am well pleased with you. I delight in you. When you listen to that voice and you spend time in that presence, it can change your life and it can fill you with hope. I've noticed that, and I've noticed this with my own life, and maybe you guys have noticed it too, that when my parents are proud of me and I know it, it gives me a kind of courage and energy in life. And I try to do that with my kids. I want them to know that dad loves them and that dad is proud of them. And when I'm watching one of my boys play the piano and he can sense dad is proud of me, it's almost like he wells up and he has a certain courage. In fact, Paul earlier, he says, we rejoice in hope. And what that the word rejoice there is the word boast. Hope is something that gives you a certain courage. It lifts your head up. And that comes from knowing that you are the object of God's special love. 
Third thing is spend time in his presence, listen to his voice, go take a walk in the woods, go open your Bible, spend time in his presence, and listen to that voice telling you who you are, and let it fill you with hope. Hope is a promise, it's a product, and it's a practice. So let's get it in 2021, shall we?